have your Bibles, turn there, Philippians 1. We're just going to jump right in. While you're turning there, I want to ask you this question. Um, have you ever, ever had a time you were supposed to be doing something, you had a job to do, whatever it was, and just you kind of lost focus, you got distracted? Maybe it's now, I don't know. Maybe you've been seeing how bad the Diamondbacks are doing and or you're worried about what the Cardinals are going to do with the number one draft. I don't know, right? But we've all been there. So a little about me. I was homeschooled, K through 12, and I made it. I'm a productive member of society. I loved it. And my mom, where's mom? Mom, where are you? Hi, mom. All right. Um, there's going to be a reward in heaven for my mom because she homeschooled my older brother, me, and my younger brother that entire time, and I don't know how she did it. Um, uh, because of moments like this that I'm about to share. So as we got older in this whole homeschool experience, my um, mom would leave the house and run errands, go shopping, that type of thing. And there was this one particular instance, my uh, brothers and I, we were good, responsible students. We stayed at the kitchen table. We did our schoolwork while mom was gone. And what are you, what are you laughing about? It was party time. So mom's gone. And this particular day, my older brother Ian said, this is going to be an awesome day to uh, just get out a blanket. We're going to put it on the kitchen tile. And Ryan, my younger brother, you sit on it, and I'm just going to drag you around as fast as we can through this thing, like kind of like a chariot race type of thing, right? So my younger brother's just like, just going through the kitchen like that. And I'm just, I'm just waiting, waiting for my moment. And uh, then I see it. The next time around, I jump on the blanket. So it's, everything stops, and my brother, brothers start lovingly rebuking me calling me names, hurling insults, that type of brother thing. He just starts pulling on the blanket as hard as he can. Now you guys can see what's coming, right? What do you think I decide to do on the next pull? I'm done. Whoop. I step off, and almost, I can still remember this vividly. Like in slow motion, my older brother just flying backwards along my, with my younger brother, like, no, right? And I remember my older brother's right foot just flying back and just smacking through the cabinet in our kitchen. And his foot was just like stuck in it. And it was in that moment time stood still. You're just frozen. And what do you think we heard outside right at that minute? Garage door opening. So my older brother pulls his foot out. He, like, starts patching the hole up as best he can, you know, trying to patch it. And then me and my younger brother, we run back to the table. We're just waiting, right, like we've been doing work the entire time. And I don't know what it is about moms. They have a sixth sense, I'm convinced. Amen, yes. Um, my mom walks into the room. It couldn't have been more than five seconds. I'm not even joking. Five seconds, maybe. What did you do? We were busted right there. We were done. We gotten distracted. We gotten our focus off of what we needed to be focusing on. And Paul is writing to some believers who've lost their focus, who've gotten distracted. And in addition, 
Paul himself could have gotten easily distracted as well. So if you guys have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at 15 through 18. But I want to start in verse 12, just to give us the context of what's happening. And here we go. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Remember, Paul's writing from prison. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So keep in mind what's going on here. Paul is writing to some believers in Philippi. He's known these people. He's helped plant this church, and he's writing to some believers, and he's gone. He's in prison, and they're thinking, this is a huge bummer. Paul's gone. How are you doing, Paul? And he's saying, hold on, guys. It's okay, because I'm here to advance the gospel, The gospel is advancing because Paul is in a tiny cell. He's chained up to some Roman guards. They're rotating in and out. And you got to believe Paul is sharing the gospel with each and every one of these guards coming in. They're hearing the gospel. Some of them are responding to it. They're taking this news back to their barracks. They're telling their their fellow soldiers about it. Their commanding officers are hearing about it. And then it just keeps going to the point where if you go to the end of Philippians, Paul just subtly casually mentions this. He says, oh yeah, by the way, greet uh, uh, believers in the household of Caesar. The gospel is spread to Caesar's household. It could be his family, for sure, servants within his household. This is what the gospel is doing. And if you're a believer back in Philippi, are you getting a little excited about that? Yeah, you're like, wow, this stuff actually works, sharing the gospel. So this is motivating believers to go out and share the gospel, not confident in themselves, confident in the Lord, it says, sharing the gospel, preaching Christ without fear, boldly doing it. So believers are stepping up in Paul's absence. Awesome stuff. Now you could think, we'll just keep it right there. This is awesome. Well, what we're going to be looking at today, there starts to be a little problem. Because in Paul's absence, you could say that Paul was the first celebrity Christian pastor, right? He's, he's the face of the franchise, so to speak, right? And he's gone all of a sudden. He's gone all of a sudden. And there's some other people in the area who said, this guy Paul's gone. Now's our chance. And they are not advancing the name of Jesus. They are advancing their name in Paul's absence. And this is what he's talking about. So look at verse 15, where we start. He says, some indeed preach Christ. Now notice he didn't say some indeed preach a false gospel. Some indeed preach false doctrine. What does it say? Preach Christ. And there's two groups of people that are preaching Christ. The first group, they are preaching Christ, it says, from envy and rivalry. And the second group, others from goodwill, out of a sincere heart, out of sincere motives. I'm interested in this first group, though. This first group of people, who who are they envious of? And who is their rivalry with? So what we're going to do, I want us to look at verse, we're going to skip 16. We're going to look at verse 17 real quick. So it says, the former proclaim Christ, there it is again, 
They proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Uh Aha. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict who? You guys can talk. It's okay. Afflict Paul. So who are these Christians after? Paul. While he's in prison. See how ironic this is? Paul, who has been persecuted most of his Christian life by other people, by non-believers, is in prison, and he is currently experiencing persecution from believers as well. There's a saying that Christians are known for shooting their own wounded. There's nothing new under the sun. Even back here, as we're reading this, this is exactly what's going on. And then we find something else about this group of people. You see those words, selfish ambition? You know there's another way that you could understand that, especially in our day and age? Their motivation in sharing the gospel is strictly political. It's a popularity contest. That's their motivation. And so I know 2020 is coming up. We're really excited about the upcoming election and the the, uh, political ads that are going to be playing every five seconds, right? Super excited about that. Um, I want us to imagine political ads that are playing back then, if that's, if that's what's going on. So if, if a political ad is supposed to have a message, right? If the message of what these people are saying, what is the message of this ad that these people are saying? What's the message? They're preaching who? Christ. So in other words, Jesus loves you, He's died for you. He's risen from the dead. And if you believe in him, you will have eternal life. Will that preach? Okay, three of you think that. All right. That's the gospel. All right? That'll preach. It's the gospel. There's nothing wrong with that. But you guys know the little, the little taglines at the end of the political ads? You guys, you guys catch those, right? My name is Billy Bob Buford, and I approve this message. Right? So these guys are, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus. And uh, he loves you. He has a great plan for your life. Oh, um, here's my stone card. Um, I don't know if you've heard about me. My name is uh, my name's Spartacus. I'm kind of a big deal. And um, so we have, uh, we have a church service coming up. And you, they just start. It's all about them. So the message is Jesus, but it's for promotion of themselves. Now, again, let's really dig into this idea of politics, okay? Political ads. Let's think about this, people. Is, are political ads just exclusively for promoting this one person that's running for office? What do we mostly see political ads are for? Hey, look at this dummy over here, right? You don't vote for this guy, right? Don't vote for this guy, right? That's me. That dog's praising the Lord, right? Don't vote for this guy, right? So they're, they're distracted. They're looking at this guy right here. And they're saying, this guy's, this guy's a joke, right? The people in Philippi, they're doing the exact same thing with Paul. They are creating a smear campaign against Paul. And so what I want us to do, I want us to imagine what this could have looked like if there's a smear campaign against Paul. Now, 
When you guys read the Bible, do you kind of get a picture of what someone might look like? Like Abraham, you're thinking old guy, like white hair, big long beard, right? Was it just, okay. So Paul, this handsome man here, Hugh Jackman, right? He is, he is cast for Paul in an upcoming movie, Hugh Jackman, all right? Now I want you to look at that picture, not too carefully, right? Um, This is an early church description of Paul people that knew him. So here's, I want you to look at this and read this description, see if it matches. Paul, a bald-headed, bow-legged, short man with a big nose and an unbroken eyebrow that lay across his forehead like a dead caterpillar. There's no other way to say this, folks. Paul was just plain ugly. Um, This is an artist's rendering of what Paul could have looked like. And you can already see this face on social media and like a meme or something like making fun of him, right? Like, so if I'm going to cast Paul in today's day and age, I would have picked this guy, right? Um, <clears throat> being more accurate. So again, if, if you're in a political campaign, is there, is there any such thing as below the belt when it's politics, when it's advancing yourself? Is there anything below the belt? It's all fair game. So if you know Paul looks like this, and he's maybe not the most attractive-looking person, you wouldn't put his name on a poster, potentially, do you think you would capitalize on this, potentially? This guy, Paul, he's kind of funny-looking, right? Have you seen his eyebrow? It looks kind of like a dead caterpillar, right? Right? Something else that we know. I'm just going to take this off. I'm sorry. Um, something else we know about Paul. Paul says, self-admittedly, he says, I'm not what you would call a smooth talker. Now, we can read his writings, brilliant thinker, yes? Brilliant thinker, great mind. But in terms of smooth talker, smooth politician, right? Is that the guy you're looking for? No. They would have capitalized on this. We're not sure if this is a speech impediment. We don't know what this is, right? But they're making fun of him potentially because of this. And then here's another one. Paul talks about a couple times about this thorn in the flesh, this deep wound. We don't know what it is, but something is really hurting him. And if you're a rival of Paul and you knew about this, do you think you would expose that? Do you think you would capitalize on that? You absolutely would. And now you're in prison, hearing about all this going on, and you get to write back to these people in the area. What would you say? I know what I would say. Verse 18. Here's what he says. What then? If Rabbi Paul were up here today, you know how he would say this in our sayings today? Who cares? Don't worry about it. Don't get distracted. That's what Rabbi Paul would say. He'd say, don't worry about it. And you're thinking, what? How can you say that? Well, he goes on. He says, only that in every way, whether in pretense, bad motive, or in truth, Good motive, Christ is proclaimed. And it's in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. 
So Paul just seems to brush this off like it's no big deal. But I want to kind of stop and push back on that a little bit and think about the humanity of Paul because I think we can read people and think they're super Christians, right? But Paul was a man just like you and me. If Paul came over to your house and he were to sit down, Paul just seems to me like the type of guy, if he sits down, it wouldn't be for more than five minutes. He'd sit down, he'd talk with you, but then he'd like, can I do some dishes? Can I go in the backyard, pull some weeds? Or like, I just need to move, right? Like, he's a go-getter. He's like, he's like the Don Ingram Energizer bunny, right? He's like, I got to move. I got to keep going. Got to keep going. Got to keep going. He's a church planner, right? He's used, he's used to coming and going as he's pleasing, moving around, and then all of a sudden, where is he now? little prison. Do you think he's getting a little stir-crazy? I would be, right? I need to get out of here. And then you hear about these people that are preaching Jesus but self-promoting themselves through this. You're probably getting a little upset about that. And then you hear that they're smearing your name through the mud while this is going on. And you can't tell me that there were not moments of thought or temptation where Paul was just like, if I were out of these things right now, you know what I could do? You know what I'd show these people back here? You can't tell me that there were not moments, thoughts, temptations to lean in that direction because he was a human like you and me. Is it possible the book of Philippians could have been written differently based off of the background? I think so. It's possible in his humanity it could have been written differently. Here's the title of what Philippians could have been. Paul's airing of grievances against bozos in the Philippian church, why you should vote for Paul, and some dirt that Paul has on these guys. That's what could have that's what the book of Philippians could have been. And yet we see something completely different because he says, verse 18, what then? Who cares? Who cares? Because Jesus Christ is being, Jesus Christ is being made known. And I believe, and we see in this verse, he says that while this is being written currently in this moment, he is choosing joy. He is choosing joy. And he doesn't just choose joy in the moment. He says, he emphasizes this. He says, I not only choose joy right now, but yes, I will continue to choose joy moment by moment. In other words, as these thoughts come into my mind, as this anger, as this hurt, as all of these things come into my mind, I'm just going to bat them away and I'm going to stay focused. Joy. This is a word that we're going to see a lot moving forward in our study in Philippians. And joy is this. Joy is happiness that isn't dependent, it isn't contingent upon your current circumstances. It's beyond that. And out of that comes a hopeful expectation for something greater and something better. Because when you're in the drive through waiting for your coffee, and it finally gets to you, and you accidentally spill your cup of coffee all over your lap... Joy says, you know what, I have blisters on my lap right now, but this is not going to determine how my day goes. This is not going to rob me of my joy, because there's something greater, there's something better, and this is joy. This is what Paul is drawing from. And so what I want to do now, I want us to go back to verse 16 now, where it talks about the believers who are laboring with Paul in the right motives, 
It says, the latter do it. They preach Christ out of love. Now notice what he says. Knowing that I am put here. Where's here? Prison. Here's a question. Who put him there? Did the Romans put him there? Technically, maybe. Did the Jews who ratted him him out and turned him over, did they put him there? I don't think that's what he's saying. He's saying, you know who's put me here? Here? God. God has put me here. For what purpose? He says it. For the defense of the gospel. That's why I'm here. Paul was focused on where God had him and why he was there. And in the moment, moment by moment, he was choosing not to focus on the smear campaign. He was choosing joy moment by moment, not trying to buy into those thoughts, not trying to entertain those thoughts. If I were only out there, if I were only in front of that person so I could punch them in the face, like, no. He stayed focused. And it says he stayed focused on the gospel. He says, God has placed me here in prison, not to defend my name, not to advance my kingdom, not to promote my ministry. God has placed me here to defend the gospel and advance his kingdom. Here's here's what Paul is saying. Do you think Paul is saying to us this morning, we can preach the gospel from horrible motives? Do you think he's, do you think he's, um, do you think he's um, justifying what these guys are doing? Like, you guys just go for it. It's okay. Do you think he's saying that? Is that the message he's trying to send? No. He's not justifying what these people are doing. But he knows this. These people that are trying to build up their own names, who are trying to build up their own kingdoms, at the end of the day, who do they have to answer to? Jesus. They have to answer to Jesus and him alone. And that's why he goes on in Philippians. He says this, and we were singing this this morning in All Hail King Jesus, that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And they're not going to bow down to me, Paul. They're not going to bow down to Emperor Nero. They're not going to bow down to these guys over here trying to self-promote themselves. They're not even going to bow down to these people that are preaching the gospel from good motives. They're going to bow down to Jesus. That's the person I'm answering to. That's the person I'm serving. And I'm going to serve him day by day, moment by moment. Choose joy until I'm done, until I finish my race, until I get my well-done, good and faithful servant. That's why I'm here. That was Paul. And he was kingdom-minded. So for us this morning, what are some practical applications of this? I got four things. Here's the first one I think we can learn from this. We need to watch our hearts, our hearts, not other people's hearts, but our hearts for envy, jealousy, and rivalry. And I think there's a progression within those. There's envy, jealousy, rivalry. And it can start out with subtle things, small thoughts such as this. You leave leave the church today, you go into the parking lot, and you see that person, and you're like, "Is is that a new car? Tesla, nice. Um, wait, 
Where did you live? Where do you live? How, how many square feet? All right, let's be real. Social media. This makes this even better, folks, right? Because you don't have to be there to see what people are doing, right? Do people uh, promote themselves in the worst way on social media? Hey, here's my hunk of junk car that I'd like you guys all to see right now, right? <laughs> Praise the Lord, right? No, right? People are just sharing things that are going on in their life. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that. I'm not trying to condemn people here, right? But we can see these things from afar, and we can be like, oh, they went there for vacation. Um, wait, honey, didn't, didn't they just redo their floor last month? And now they're installing a new floor? What? How can they afford this, right? It just starts with little things like that, guys, and it can turn into... Envy can go from jealousy to rivalry, where that person, you can look at them as if they're your enemy, a believer in Jesus Christ. You know what I've found in my life that is effective in keeping that stuff out of your mind? You pray for those people. Now listen to me carefully. Do not pray for their destruction. Jesus, I'm praying that their pipes will burst in their house on that newly installed floor, that you will ruin it. No. No. Right? By the way, if you've installed a floor here, there's nothing wrong with that. Praise God for that. Um, But listen, you pray for their well-being. You pray for their good. You rejoice that they can do something like that. And then you look at your heart and you just ask God's forgiveness for that envy, for that jealousy, for that rivalry that is happening within you. And it's amazing as you pray for those people how those things begin to fade away. Those thoughts become less and less. Here's the second thing. Whose kingdom are you advancing? Whose kingdom are you advancing? I've grown up in church, and I've been in ministry long enough to know Christians can bicker and fight over the dumbest things. Now listen to me carefully. I'm not talking about false doctrine. I'm not talking about false gospel. Those are in-house discussions that need to take place. But I'm talking about people who are trying to advance their own kingdoms, who are trying to make a name for themselves, who are squabbling over, the stupid, thing, over stupid things. It's like, have you guys seen little kids just do this with each other, right? I have, I have two little girls, right? I have three girls, but two toddlers, right? And they're just, ah! and I'm sitting back here like, what are you doing, right? But Christians can be doing that all the time, right? It's like, right? And you know what Satan's doing during this time? <sighs> keep going. Keep, keep it up, guys. And to the point where it's no longer, I don't have to worry about these guys because they're not going to get anything done. They're, uh, they're, they're focused on themselves. So um, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to dispatch some demons to these people that are actually going to get some stuff done. For, my, for God's kingdom. I don't have to worry about these guys over here. Satan loves that. And by the way, while we're doing this, who's watching from the outside? The world. And they're seeing this happen from the outside, and they're thinking, man, we're talking about the family of God here. I don't know if I want to be a part of this family. I've got my own family, and we have dysfunction enough, so I don't know if I want to compound that by 
being a part of another family with this type of stuff? No thank you, right? We meet people like this all the time. What is their reason for not wanting to go to church or be a Christian? What's the one of the number one reasons? They're hypocrites, right? And again, whether for right or wrong reasons, that's people's perception of Christianity. Jesus says, by this, all men, the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love. Third, do not get distracted by people's motives. Do not get distracted by people's motives. And it can look like this. You can come into a room like this. You can come in for worship. And you're enjoying it. And you're hearing the message. You're hearing the music. And then all of a sudden, you look across the room and there's that person. And you see them. And all those images, all those thoughts come coming back right in that moment. And you know, maybe you're looking across the room and you see that person raising their hands in worship. And you're sitting there like this. How can they live with themselves? You know what? I bet they're not even worshiping Jesus right now. I bet they're thinking about that newly installed kitchen floor that they just put in. What's happening? They're worshiping Jesus. You're over here. Hey! Get your focus where it needs to be. And you might be here this morning and say, well, but Trevor, but they, they're actually, you talked about the smear campaign. These are people that are actually doing that to me. I know for a fact they're doing this against me. Well, listen, Paul would tell you this morning, not that that's not a big deal. I'm not trying to diminish that that isn't a big deal. But he would say, listen, don't worry about it. Don't get distracted by that. Because at the end of the day, do they have to answer to you? No, they have to answer to Jesus. And we know the Bible says that one day every, every person's good deeds, their motives behind those things will be exposed on the last, in the last days. Jesus is going to take care of that someday. Until then, you can't control what people think. You can't control what that next person next to you does. You know what you can control? Focus. Last one. We need to choose joy and contentment in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. Whatever circumstance. Paul is in prison. It's not a glamorous place. Paul could have had missed opportunities in prison. He could have had missed opportunities in his letter because he's sitting there pouting. I can't believe God has me here. Come on. I could be out there. I could be doing real ministry. No, no. He says, no. I am put here for the gospel advancing his kingdom, and I'm going to do that well. I do not know this morning what situation you find yourself in. I do not know what your job looks like. I do not know what things at home look like. I don't know how large your home is. I don't know what your neighborhood looks like, but listen to me. Paul is trying to tell us, listen, Paul, not Paul, God, God has put you here. Here. For a reason. And you need to stay focused on where you are to 
defend the gospel, share the gospel, advance his kingdom. Because what happens when you are looking at other things? Are you in the moment? You've completely lost sight on the opportunities that God has placed right in front of you, currently where you are. He's placed me here. God has placed you wherever you are right now for a reason. And it's to draw you closer to him. It's to make you more like him, but it's to advance his kingdom. Desert Springs. Let's stay focused. Let's stay focused on the gospel. Let's stay focused on his kingdom, not our name, not our kingdoms. But let's advance his kingdom. Let's make Jesus famous. And guys, let's do that side by side together. Not doing this, but moving forward together to advance the kingdom of God.